0: Scripture for today comes from Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, and then 21 through 26. Let us listen to God's word. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go to his own place. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Based on this Bible passage, I am excited to announce a policy change here at Scottsboro CP Church. While historically, we have voted on important decisions, who to elect as elder or deacon, or whether or not to do a ministry, this story has shown me the light. We will stop casting votes and start casting lots. When deciding the date for a trip or an event, we'll just put up a calendar on the wall, We'll have a bunch of times listed. Then we'll spin in a circle and throw a dart at the calendar. Wherever it lands, that's the date we'll go with. We've even purchased one of those magic eight balls. Yes. So whenever you're trying to make a decision, we'll give it a shake. Like when some of our youth recommended that we turn the administrative building into a castle with a tower. Just give the eight ball a shake looks promising. But we don't have to imagine it because you're welcome. We can try it right now. Why don't we? Should I preach today for 30 minutes? It is decidedly so. Is God telling the session elders to come forward and lead us in song? Not today. You got lucky on that one. If we all clap in unison and chant Jesus, will he decide to come back this moment? Try again later. (laughs) That feels really correct, actually. This is the one I think people are really going to love, though, more even than the eight ball. I think casting lots, which we use to decide between two people, this year for nominating elders and deacons, we're just going to get in a big circle and play spin the bottle. I think this is going to be really fun, actually. Obviously, there's going to be ambiguity over who exactly is pointing at, so we'll put a laser pointer in the bottle to make sure we know exactly who we're nominating for new elders and deacons. Whoever the Lord chooses. All of these feel ridiculous to me. And yet, when the early church is appointing someone to replace Judas, on the committee of twelve apostles, they choose to and then cast lots. Which leaves me with a troubling question. Was the early church just outrageously superstitious? Was it a one-time thing? Or are we supposed to stop casting votes and start casting lots? For honest, as Presbyterians... We could probably use some criticism from that direction. We could probably trust a little more freely without leaving everything perfectly in order. There was once a Presbyterian. Sometime during worship, he began to experience a pain in his chest. He was pretty sure it was a small heart attack. So he clenched his fist and gritted his teeth as the pastor preached the sermon and the choir sang, grunted to his feet for the closing benediction, and as the final note of the postlude played, he yelled, someone please call an ambulance. I've had a heart attack. So the pastor goes after church to visit this man in the hospital and was amazed to learn that the heart attack had happened during the children's message in the service. Jim, why on earth didn't you say something earlier? We would have called the ambulance right away, and Jim replied, well, pastor, it was not listed in the bulletin. <laughs> ad living is not our forte. We like to script the entire service, have almost everything we do written down and in order. It is the Presbyterian way. At convocation, our youth retreat in January, the youth were deciding what they were going to do with their free afternoon. One of them said, let's meet upstairs in 10 minutes and we'll vote on it. They literally formed a committee and voted on their free afternoon. It is the Presbyterian way. So what do we do with a passage like this? Passages where it feels like you just throw your hands up in the air and wait for the Spirit to say something. You see, this sermon is about decision-making. So let's pull it apart and see what it has for us. The first thing that happens is we're confronted with a situation. Judas was one of the twelve apostles. All followers of God were equal in value, but they were not equal in authority, the twelve. Jesus' inner circle, they were the ones in charge. But Judas betrayed Jesus, and now they must replace him. So the first thing in decision-making is to name the situation. The apostles need a twelfth member. The whole thing starts there. That's an important step. The twelve could have said, well, it's not a problem. We can just do this thing with eleven. But they didn't. We looked at the Bible and had this verse stand out to them, let another take his position of overseer. So then the problem was finding somebody to fill the position. Defining the situation is the first step. And you need to do it right. If you define the wrong problem, then you cannot find a right solution. We often have people come to the church looking for financial assistance because they don't have enough money. But sometimes, if you look closely on their bills, you can see that the problem is not that they need more money. It's that they spend too much of it. So no matter how much more money you continue to find, the problem will not go away. You need to define the situation and do so correctly. The apostles have lost one member. They need to replace him. That's the first step. Step number two is something we're good at as Presbyterians. Do some research. Pause before you go with the first solution that comes to mind so you don't spend all your time reinventing the wheel, but do some research to figure out what to do next. Before they started throwing out names to replace Judas, the apostles paused to figure out what they needed because it's easier to pick the right person once than to have to go back and fix it. They decided this person needed to be a follower of Jesus, one who was with him, who saw all of the things that Jesus did, and it also needed to be someone who was proven. Nobody who's excited because following God is trendy, or it's the new, fresh thing to do, but someone who's been through the hard times and is still there. So maybe there's Zedekiah, but he's a little busy already, and then there's Ruth. But I don't know if she has time for it right now. And Haggai is so eager and so invested, but he's just converted, so give him some time. So they go through this list, and they weed out these people, and then they create a job description. The one who will witness to God's resurrection. It's a vague job description, but it is a job description. And based on the job description, they submit two names, Matthias and Joseph. And that's as far as they can figure out. Beyond that, they're not really sure. Some people might prefer Matthias. Others might prefer Joseph. But eventually, in any decision-making process, you reach a point where you need to make a decision. You need to do something or not. Choose somebody or somebody else. You need to make a choice. But before you get there, there is a third step. And it is an incredibly important one Step one, identify the situation. Step two, do some research, figure out what solutions are out there. But step three, step three is to get God involved. If you do not get God involved in your decision-making, you've made a mistake. I don't really know how else to say that. If you don't get God involved in your decision-making, you've made a mistake. Because there's a limit to our ability to understand a situation. We're only so smart. We only understand so much. And frankly, decision-making can paralyze us. Overthink, over-strategize. I've never done that one before. Our pride gets in the way. It clouds our judgment. Our fear of making a mistake stops us from making a decision altogether. You know who doesn't have all those problems? God does not have any of those problems. So when the apostles hit this dead end, they get God involved. They pray, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry. I want to remind you of something this morning. The idea that God will give wisdom and discernment when we turn to him, it is not a hope, it is a promise. God will give wisdom and discernment to guide us. There's this woman by the name of Michelle, and she works at the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire Museum. So the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire was the deadliest industrial fire in the history of New York City. 146 garment workers, most of whom were women, died from this fire or from trying to jump out and escape the fire. Michelle uh, had a young man walk into her office. He introduces himself and says he's come to New York to celebrate the 75th anniversary of the fire. She remembers she had received a strange letter about a year ago from this man, so she invites him to attend the anniversary dinner. He explains that since receiving her reply, he has been working odd jobs for over a year to save for this train ticket from Michigan to New York City and now he's here. She asks where he's staying for the night, and he says, on a park bench. But Michelle has been noticing something a little different in his behavior. He avoids eye contact, he rocks as he speaks, he wrings his hands, his sentences have a strange cadence, and he's been obsessed with the shirt-waist fire regardless of the fact that none of his family members were affected. She looks at this man and she gets this sense, a sense I'd say was from God. So she calls her husband and she tells him, listen, we're going to have a guest for a couple of days in our house. And her fellow employees, to be quite honest with you, tell her she's a fool. Even her husband is worried because they don't know this man. Twenty-five years later, Michelle considers that one of her proudest moments because now she has a 21-year-old son who rocks when he talks and wrings his hands and avoids people's eyes. Her son is autistic. Her prayer is that if he showed up on someone's doorstep in a distant city, that they would give him a bed instead of a park bench. Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit to be with us. He tells his disciples that they're going to be asked questions. They're going to face tough choices, but not to worry. The Holy Spirit will supply them with the right words. And unless Jesus was a liar, this wisdom is not a pipe dream. It's a guarantee, which is why if you don't get God involved in your decision making, you've made a mistake. You see, Michelle listened to God She heard the Spirit speak. God orchestrates connections and opportunities that years down the road leave you amazed. How could things have come together like that? That's why step three is to get God involved. Which brings us to our final step, perhaps my favorite, you've got to act. You've got to step up and do something. You can define the, re- every, the situation, do all the research, listen for the Holy Spirit, and still completely miss it if you don't follow through. Because the right road that's never taken will not get you anywhere. And the right words that are never said will not change anything. Step four is simple. Once you have this answer, which doesn't need to be perfect, once you have it, act If you need help doing it, find some help. If you need accountability, get it. I can't guarantee that if you do this, you'll never make mistakes. In fact, I can guarantee that if you start trying to live like this, you absolutely will make mistakes. You will fail. You'll be taking risks because it seems like God is pulling you in this or that direction, and sometimes you'll get it wrong but maybe it's the difference between somebody sleeping on a park bench and sleeping in a bed. I can guarantee, absolutely guarantee, that if you live by those four steps, the Spirit of God will show up, and from the midst of those failures, you'll see God start doing things in and through you that blow you away. In the year 33 A.D., 12 apostles... Mostly fishermen and one man who had been waitlisted were in charge of the smallest religion in the entire world. About 20 people. 300 years later, it was approaching 10 million. Does trusting God still work? It is decidedly so. Let us pray. Lord, we give you all the thanks and all the glory for the things you continue to call us to do. Lord, would you give us the courage to follow you, to actually listen to you speaking to us as a church and as a community, that everything we may do might be following your will. Lord, open our eyes and our hearts to see the movement of your Holy Spirit and give us the courage to follow. In your holy name we pray. Amen.